If you'll please make your way to a pew, and uh, find a Bible nearest to you, and point your Bible to the Gospel of Luke. If you're new, I'm Jamie, and uh, I guess I got to say, I feel like one of the luckiest men on earth. I'm married to my best friend, who is unquestionably the most remarkable person I know. I was born to him. I wasn't going to mention that. Um, The Lord has given me four dear children who please me no end. And uh, it has pleased the Lord to allow me to pastor the best church around. And so I just got to say, I'm very thankful to you all. I took lunch with a friend of mine uh, this week. His name's Garrison. He's a pastor at uh, Veritas Church in Dayton. And in my opinion, best preacher around here. And uh, I guess I went into this meeting feeling a little sullen, I guess, um, down. And uh, my friend Garrison reminded me of what Paul wrote in Ephesians 3.8. Paul said, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And it was as if the Lord used my friend Garrison to just lift me out of my self-pity and say to me, Jamie, you, you get to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to the people that you love most in this world. And so thank you, brothers and sisters, for allowing me to be one of your pastors. I'm going to ask the Lord to do something similar for you all this morning, that as we consider the unsearchable riches of Christ, that He would lift you out of any uh, difficulty that you're in, any pressure that you're feeling, any weariness that you feel this morning in your fight against sin, in your fight against the world and the devil, that the Lord would lift you up and above those things and reveal the glorious riches of His Son to you and tell you, check your spiritual bank account. You're rich beyond your wildest imagination. So to that end, I invite you to point to Luke chapter 18. We're going to pick up where we left off last Lord's Day. We worked through books of the Bible here at PBC. And today we're in Luke 18. If you don't have a Bible, there is one provided for you in the pew in front of you. And you'll find our reading today on page 877 of the church Bible. I'm going to read from verse 15 down to 30 and then pray and ask for the Lord's help. And then we'll get to work working our way through this passage. Should be around 45 minutes or so. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 15. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the children come to me, and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good 
except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. When he heard these things, he, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, who then can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, truly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time, and in the age to come, eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves before you and ask that you would make us teachable, that you would give us ears to hear what your Spirit is saying to us, your people, your church. I pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes, that we would see and know a little bit more of these unsearchable riches of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. C.S. Lewis uh, wrote in his, uh, his most famous book, The Lion and the Witch in the Wardrobe, he dedicated this book to his, his niece, or his goddaughter, I think. And in the dedication, he wrote this. I wrote this story for you, but when I began it, I had not realized that girls grow quicker than books. As a result, you are already too old for fairy tales. And by the time it is printed and bound, you will be older still. But someday, you'll be old enough to start reading fairy tales again. Some things are so precious that they can only be received with childlike wonder an unqualified joy. Some things, like the kingdom of God. Jesus said, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. I've heard it put like this, while adults are busy teaching children all about life, children are teaching parents what life is all about. So I want you to think back for just a couple of minutes to when you were a child, if those memories are still accessible to you. The world did not contain seven wonders, but seven million. You had nothing, you earned nothing, and from a utilitarian perspective, you offered nothing to anyone. You were a consumer only, and you weren't bothered by this in the least. 
You spent your days taking in all of the sensory experience of your parents' world. You played and played without reservation. You had an almost endless capacity for enjoying monotony. And time would pass quickly in frivolity. You didn't feel the slightest pressure of productivity. You never gave a single thought at the end of the day whether or not your day was productive. The word production is an adult word. If you needed anything, you just found a parent. And you expected your parent would provide that thing. And you took it happily and went about your way. Had someone asked you what you did to earn that popsicle in your hand, you wouldn't have had an answer. The question itself made no sense. I just asked mom and dad for it, and they gave it to me. You never lost any sleep thinking about economic downturns or how you're going to pay for four new tires on your minivan. You didn't worry about church troubles or contested elections. You just went to bed thinking about whether or not your teddy bear was comfortable and how amazing it's going to be tomorrow at grandma's house. Sometimes your parents would ask you to do things that scared you. Jump into the deep water and daddy will catch you. You didn't know how to swim. You just knew that daddy was there and that he promises that he's going to catch me. And so you jumped and he did. And you found out you loved it. And so you did it again and again and again and again. You listened to fairy tales and you just believed them. You didn't have to suspend disbelief to enjoy the stories of a chuckling bear in the hundred acre woods or about a a talking spider who saves an undersized pig. You didn't have to worry about the bad science between behind a magic bean that grows a beanstalk into the heavens. You just heard the fairy tale with fascination and wonder. And then one day, you grew up. And you learned economics. And you began to depend upon yourself You learned of the benefits of hard work and responsibility and your sense of security shifted from something outside of you like mom and dad to something inside of you. And you began to contribute more than you consumed. And this is right. This is what you should have done. This is just growing up. What Jesus is teaching here is that to receive the kingdom of God, we don't need to grow up. We need to grow down. To understand ourselves, we must understand who God is. Fundamentally, God is Father. And that means fundamentally, we are children. And in terms of our relationship to God, there is something of the wonder and the trust and the innocence and the humility and the joy of childhood which must be held on to or perhaps recaptured. There are two stories here in Luke 18 to illustrate that very point. Here's the big idea this morning. Receive the kingdom of God like a child and release all else to follow Christ and you will reap much more now and forever. Receive the kingdom, release all else, and reap much more now and forever. Three points to guide us along. To receive the kingdom like a child, that's number one. 
to release all else for the sake of the king, that's point two. And then finally, to reap more now and forever. We start with to receive the kingdom like a child. Look again to verses 15 to 17. Now they were bringing infants, even infants, to Jesus that He might touch them. When the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to Him, saying, Let the children come to Me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Verse 17. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Well, let's not forget where we are in the story of Jesus' life. Jesus has set his face to Jerusalem, where he will be betrayed, abandoned, murdered. Jesus will lay down his life to become the once-for-all sacrifice for sin. We are literally weeks away from the cross. And Jesus, in this gospel of Luke, has been putting down some of his richest teachings about himself, about the kingdom life. And here we have some people who have the nerve to interrupt Jesus in his teaching by bringing children, even infants, to be touched by him, to be blessed by him. Well, the disciples aren't having it. I mean, don't these these parents know who it is that they're bringing their children to? This is the Messiah. He's teaching us about eternal things, things that really matter. Well, we, we've been in the gospel of Luke long enough to know what's about to come, right? These boys, oh, I love them so much. They rebuke all the things that you shouldn't rebuke. <laughs> Jesus calls them over. He says, boys, listen, let the children, let them come to me. Don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom. There's a couple of lessons for us here. First, if the Lord has provided to you children, if you are a parent, do as these parents did. Bring your children to Jesus to be blessed by Him. From the very first days of their life, teach them the habits of the Christian life. Sunday mornings are for the Lord. It's what we do. It's what we've done for 2,000 years. So if you have a sport or an extracurricular activity that interrupts that, you just simply go to the coach and say, well, Sunday mornings, God bless you, I'll be at church. My children will be with me. Teach them the habits of the Christian life. Prepare your family for church on Saturday evening. Put them to bed early. Feed them healthy food in the morning, non-sugary food, so that they can sit And listen, pay attention, pray together as a family, do family worship. I'm so encouraged when I hear about the way so many of you do family worship in your... I was just talking to uh, Michael Deeren last week about how he's been working through a catechism with his children. Some of you I know use the New City Catechism. It blesses me to no end. I thank you for doing such a good job at home. Well done. The Lord does not see children as a distraction from gospel ministry, but the recipients of it. This is what Rudy and Brooke Ruiz do, and those of you who serve in the children's ministry are doing 
And you do it so well. You're providing supplemental, age-appropriate Bible education for, your, for the children of the church. Thank you for that. Now, some of you have chosen to keep your children in the service during that time. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Great job. Ask them about the service afterwards. Those of you who send your kids to the children's ministry, ask them about the service afterward. Have those conversations on your way home. All you're doing is bringing your children to Jesus to be blessed by Him. Jesus says, children, teach us how to receive the kingdom of God. He says, receive the kingdom of God like a child. But what does that mean? You're going to have plenty of examples of this in a few weeks. Watch, if you have the opportunity, how a child opens a gift at Christmas. Watch as an eight-year-old opens the present for the thing that he's been asking for. As his eyes light up, as his smile breaks over his face, as he takes the gift into his hand and rips open the packaging and just plays with it as soon as he can. Receive the kingdom like that. You know what that eight-year-old doesn't do? After receiving the gift, he doesn't stand up and walk over to his father and pull out his wallet and say, how much do I owe you, old man? Nor does he say something like, well, it's about time that you finally now see what I've been contributing to this family. I mean, you chuckle, but isn't that exactly what we do to our Heavenly Father? We read earlier in Luke, I think chapter 12, that Jesus said, your Heavenly Father loves to give the kingdom to you. It is His good pleasure to do so. And yet so many of us strip the joy out of receiving the kingdom because we look at our Heavenly Father with our wallet open and say, what do I owe you? What good, what good deeds do you need from me now? The rich ruler in the next few verses is nameless. Oh, but you know his name, don't you? It just so happens to be the same one on your birth certificate. He is you. He is me. So let's have a look. Receive the kingdom like a child. And the second point, release all else for the king. This is verse 18. And a ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I've kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But when he said these things, when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich. 
And Jesus, seeing that he becomes sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. It was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Now, before we all just pile on this rich man and start tearing him apart, let's acknowledge that his question, well, it's a good question. It's a flawed question, but it's a good question. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? When you evangelize someone, well, don't you hope that that question would be asked of you? Wouldn't you love those of you who work to have a coworker or a boss or an employee come to you and say, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That's a great question. Ah, oh, but it's a flawed one. Do? What must I do? What do you mean by do? You don't do anything. To inherit anything. The question is so wrong. You don't inherit by doing. You inherit by being. What did Prince William do to become the future king of England? He didn't do nothing. He just was born. So Jesus goes after this man's flawed question. And he goes after... One of the words in that flawed question. But interestingly, it's not the word that you and I would have probably went after, right? What word does Jesus go after? Good. Good! Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Now, first, it might seem like Jesus is distancing himself from being called God. But in actual fact, Jesus is doing the opposite of that. He's asking the man, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Are you calling me God? That's Jesus' question. You see, Jesus knows the ruler's problem. It's not his wrong understanding of salvation, that if I keep all the commandments of God, then God will save me. That's wrong, but that's not his biggest problem. The man's problem isn't really even his love of his money. His problem is what he thinks of Jesus. You see, the other problems stem from that one. The ruler misunderstood the point of the law because the ruler did not understand the point of the law, which is Jesus Christ. And he couldn't pay the price to follow Christ because he did not know the preciousness of Christ. And so he went away sad because his joy and his status and his security 
came from his wealth. And it wasn't in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to mention the fact that Jesus' answer to the man's question is troubling. You know the commandments. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? You know the commandments. And then Jesus lists a few. If you remember back when we were in the Ten Commandments, you'll recognize these. And they come from the second half of the Ten Commandments, the second table. Jesus lists them. Don't commit adultery, seventh commandment. Don't murder, sixth commandment. Don't steal, eighth commandment. Don't bear false witness, ninth commandment. Honor your father and mother, the fifth commandment. There's one missing from the second table. Did you catch which one it is? The tenth commandment. Thou shalt not covet, which is an interesting omission. But that's what troubles me. What troubles me is just what Jesus is saying. Jesus is effectively saying to this ruler, to inherit eternal life, keep the commandments of God. Actually, that's exactly what Jesus says in Matthew's account. Keep the commandments of God. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Keep the commands of God. If you were in the crowd that day, how many of you would be looking for a stone to throw at Jesus Christ? This man's a heretic. He's a Pelagian. No, but actually, that's good doctrine. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Keep the commands of God. Isn't that what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 2, verse 13? For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Oh, hold up, Pastor. You just yelled at us for 48 minutes last week that salvation, justification comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone? Well, that's exactly what Jesus is teaching us. Just watch this unfold. Verse 21. The ruler says, Good, check. Do not commit adultery, check. Do not murder, check. Don't lie, check. Don't steal, check. All these I've kept from my youth. Apparently, the sinless Son of God has finally met the only other perfect man who has ever lived. Oh, how the Lord might have just unbraided this man in his arrogance. Or is it ignorance? I'm not sure. How the Lord might have exposed this man's thoughts. How he could have read his internet browsing history out loud. How he could have burned up all of the fig leaves of his own self-righteousness in front of everybody. But he didn't. That's not the Lord's way. In fact, Mark's gospel says Jesus looked at him and loved him. Christian, Jesus loves the self-deluded 
and proud. There's hope for us yet. Besides, the Lord knows it's not what this man thinks about himself that's the problem. That's a symptom of the problem. This man's problem is his view of God, and you can see that in the Lord's precise diagnosis. One thing you lack. Sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, you'll have treasure in heaven, come follow me. This is classic Jesus' answer. One thing you lack, and he gives him three. You just got to do one thing. Here are three. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, follow me. Three verbs. Three things, which are one thing. You see? Sell everything that you have, let it go, it falls on the poor, and then take hold of me. You're holding on to your riches, let go of those, they'll fall on the poor, take hold of me. That's the one thing. That's the thing that's missing. That's the commandment this man has not kept. Thou shalt not have any other gods before me. Make the Lord your greatest treasure, your deepest delight. You know, God was very wise to give you two hands to your physical body, but only one to your soul. You can only hold on to one thing. Either you can hold on to the things of this world, or you can hold on to Christ, but you cannot hold on to both. To hold on to Christ means to let go of everything else. Is Jesus telling you, dear 21st century Christian, to sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and to follow Him? Maybe. For some, this is what it looks like to follow Christ. And can I just say, if you think that Jesus is asking more of the rich ruler than he has asked of you, then I'm afraid, dear Christian, you don't know what it's like to follow Jesus. To follow Christ means that He takes every part of your heart. So yes, it's true that we make Him first place in our life, but it's also not true. He's not a first place with other things underneath. He's all the places. The Lord Jesus is not an accessory to your life. The Lord Jesus is your life. All of it. Until Christ is all. Verse 23 says, this man went away very sad. Because he was holding on to his riches. And he could not receive the kingdom of God like a child because that would mean it would be unearned. If eternal life is a gift, he didn't want it. He wanted to do something for it. He had to deserve some part of it. Why is it so hard for us to receive free grace? Brother and sister, once upon a time, 
you knew how to receive something precious without asking, what's the catch? Once upon a time, you knew how to ask for help. Once upon a time, you received correction. Once upon a time, you opened a gift at Christmas and just tore open the packaging and enjoyed it. Set down your pride and be that again. Oh, but it's hard, isn't it? It's hard to ask for help. It's impossible, really. For we are so much like the rich man. We are extremely rich. And verse 24 and 25 ought to be sobering for everyone in this room. Jesus says to, it's easier to squeeze a camel through the eye of a needle than it is to squeeze a rich person into heaven. But make no mistake, the doors of heaven are wide open to all, but they are far too small for most. Most of us are just too big, way too big. And so out of his love for you, dear Christian, in order to fit you for heaven, God the Holy Spirit must shrink you. That's a bit what, like what happens when you became a Christian. You ever seen that Disney, uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids? He takes one of the, the gospels like that big machine that was invented that gets shot at the kids and they shrink down. This is what happened when you became a Christian. You got shrunk. And yet so many of us are just too big still. We have to keep getting smaller. And God, the Holy Spirit, is shrinking you, teaching you to consider others more significant than yourself putting you into situations where you don't get your way to teach you to be patient, quieting your voice, forcing you to associate with the lowly. And this is because the Lord knows better than you that there's more hope for a fool than for someone who thinks themselves wise in their own eyes. Learn the lesson. Be teachable. Be humble. Get small. Oh, you can bristle against it all you want. You're just going to push that lesson down the road. It's just going to take longer. If you're not going to learn it now, you're going to learn it later. Your God loves you too much. He's not going to give up. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I hope you've been listening to what the Lord Jesus is saying about what it takes to get into heaven. You want to go to heaven? I'll tell you how. Keep the commandments. Keep every one of them. The problem is, you can't. You won't. You don't even want to. It's impossible. 
Listen to me, it is impossible. There are too many commandments, they're too exacting, they're too demanding, and you're too in love with your own life. You're too in love with being your own boss. And you think too little of Christ. And so what will you do? You'll find every reason why you won't sell everything to follow Christ. You'll find every way to change what Jesus is demanding of you. To lower the standards of cost, the cost of following Him. And you'll do this because you need to keep Him at arm's length. He's too dangerous to get close. He asks too much. And that's exactly right. He does ask too much. What is impossible with man is possible with God. You see, the price for entering heaven is keeping the commandments of God, which you haven't kept. But the good news of Christianity is that there is one who has kept them. Jesus Christ, God the Son, wrapped Himself in humanity, and He kept the commandments of God perfectly from His youth. And all who turn to Him are credited with His commandment keeping. The Bible word, the Bible phrase is the righteousness of God. When you repent of your sins and turn to Jesus Christ, the Bible says you are united to Him. And so what, beca- what is true of Him becomes true of you. Oh, Pastor Brent just read it earlier. That God made Him who knew no sin to be sin so that we would become in Him the righteousness of God. So do that today. Before you leave this place, repent and believe in Jesus Christ. God did the impossible. He did what none of us have done. And because He did that, you can sell everything and follow Him. You can let go of the things of this world and take hold of Christ. Because of the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the place of sinners, you can know that you can trust God will provide for you, will protect you, will give you peace. And you can be assured that nothing that you give up for the sake of Christ and for the kingdom will ever be lost. You can be assured that whatever you let go of, you gain back in Christ and far more. Which brings us to the end. Verses 28 to 30, and this is where we'll close. Reap much more now and forever. Good old Peter. Peter pipes up. See, we left homes and followed you. Don't you just love him? And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive back many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Now, I've looked at this all week long. I don't know if Peter is doing a humble brag or if he's just trying to, like, hedge his bets. (laughs) I really don't know Peter's motivation here. Whatever it is, Jesus is too kind to rebuke him again. Instead, in his divine gentleness and patience with the apostle Peter, he assures our silly brother with a promise. 
In this promise is that no one who has left houses or wife or brothers or parents or children or for the sake of the kingdom will be forgotten. But I just want to take a second and just meditate on the word no one. No one. No one. And it's such an important reality. Because to follow Jesus, some of you may lose your jobs. Some of you may lose family. Some of you may have to leave friendships. Some of you will have to let go of riches that you've earned. But listen, Jesus is worth it. And Jesus is worthy of it. No one. Those with same-sex attraction may spend the rest of their life being sexually unfulfilled for the sake of Christ. Living a life of repentance. Those who are unbiblically divorced will leave the rest of their life single for the sake of the kingdom. Those whose families reject them because they've become a Christian may spend the holidays alone for the sake of Christ. Parents who stand for biblical truth may be told by their children, I'm not coming home for Christmas. No one. Those who give generously to the kingdom will have less to live on in retirement, less to hand down to their children. But listen to the promise that Jesus makes. Those same disciples will receive many times more in this life and in the age to come, eternal life. Don't miss the first part, in this life. Those of you who've had to leave family for the sake of Christ, will receive many more family in Christ. Just look around. Brothers, sisters, mothers, and fathers in the family of God. Nothing you give up for the sake of Christ is ever lost. Because the Lord is pleased to give you many times more now and forever. So yes, the cost of following Christ may feel like standing at the edge of a swimming pool. Hearing your daddy say, jump and I'll catch you. Because in some ways it is jumping into the unknown, trusting that your heavenly Father will catch you. But did you know he's never lost a single one? Not a single one. Your Father will catch you. And you will find that when you land in his arms and you receive the smile across his face, there is joy and delight in jumping. And you'll want to do it over and over and over again.
I have my prayer for you is that someday you'll be old enough to receive the precious gifts of God's grace and just rip open the package and play with it and never once worry, what do I owe you? Let's pray. Father, we give you praise this morning for the kindness that you've shown to us in making us your children. For your children we are, and oh, how we ever want to be. May the reality that we have been adopted into the family of God, granted the very righteousness of Christ, and been fit for heaven, never be lost on us. May we submit to this fitting, and may it bring us joy and delight as we sell off to follow you. Father, forgive us for back. Forgive us for thinking too highly of ourselves. Forgive us for having withheld ourselves from your gentle rebuke. It's, our pride is so unmanageable. We are just far too big in our own eyes. So please, God, grant your Spirit's conviction, soften our hearts, and bring us to repentance. And let us leave here today happy in Jesus for the unsearchable riches that we have seen in Him today. And let us be renewed in His strength to love you with all of our heart and all of our soul, all of our mind and all of our strength. Amen. Now, if you please stand to your feet. One of my favorite parts of our worship gatherings is at the end we read an assurance of pardon. For those of you who are trusting in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, some of which have been exposed by the passage before us today, hear now an assurance from your heavenly Father that you have been forgiven. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all at Piqua Baptist Church who call upon you. Stand in that promise this week. Brothers, lead us.